video uh, head-to-head. So, uh, yes, it's, it's a good thing, isn't it? Okay. Well, great. Thank you for your comments. Good to talk to you all. You heard there, Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent over in Washington, D.C. Dickie Wong, who's head of research at Kingston Securities. Quinton Webb, who's Asia Markets editor at The Wall Street Journal. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look at the markets for this morning. The SX200 in Australia down 0.1%. Same story uh, for the Nikkei 225 in Japan. The Cosby's off a bit more in South Korea. Uh, that's fallen about half a percent at the moment. And it looks like the declines in Hong Kong are going to resume. Futures markets indicating a fall of about 100 points for the Hang Seng at the open. In the commodities markets, uh, Brent crude oil is rallying this morning. It's at $85.23 a barrel. Uh, gold is off slightly at $1,830 an ounce. Thank you for listening. Do please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for Money Talk. Stay tuned for Back Chat uh, with Jim Gould and Anna Fenton coming up in just one moment. Let me give the weather forecast for today. Very dry, slightly cooler in the morning. Uh, it's going to become fine during the day. Maximum temperature is going to be around 24 degrees. And the outlook, mainly fine and very dry in the next few days. There is a red fire danger warning in force. It is 18 degrees and 42% relative humidity. Just gone 8.31, here's Todd Harding with the half-hour news. Health authorities have lifted the lockdown at the Harbour Pinnacle building in Chimsa Chai. Around 300 residents were tested and no COVID cases were found. The lockdown, which lasted 12 hours, was sparked by fears an aircrew member had contracted a mutant coronavirus variant. There were also concerns about his viral load and the fact his job meant he was exempt from quarantine. Robert Kemp has more. The upmarket residential building on Minden Avenue was sealed off at 7pm yesterday for compulsory testing after a resident tested preliminary positive for a mutant COVID strain. 29-year-old man who works as a Cathay Cargo flight crew member had arrived from Hong Kong on Saturday on a flight from Germany. He initially tested negative for COVID at the airport, but at a routine follow-up test in Yaomarte on Monday, he tested preliminary positive with a high viral load. His specimen also had the L452R mutant strain which is found in the highly infectious Delta variant, among others. The man was one of four imported preliminary positive cases reported by the Centre for Health Protection late yesterday. Another one of the four, a 57-year-old man, was also a crew member on the same flight. Residents of the house he lives in have been quarantined. His test also showed the L452R variant, though his viral load was lower. The government says anyone who has been to 29 places visited by the four preliminary positive cases must get tested, even those who are vaccinated. They include the Transport Department's licensing office in Admiralty, which has suspended services today. On Monday, infectious diseases expert Dr Joseph Tsung of the Hong Kong Medical Association told RTHK the government could consider imposing quarantine rules on aircrew. He made the comment after a man from London was found to be carrying the so-called Delta Plus variant. Research at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean suggests climate change is undermining the sea's capacity to absorb carbon emissions. The iAtlantic project, which includes scientists from around the world, used robots to sample the ocean floor, hundreds of kilometres off the coast of West Africa. Professor Murray Roberts from the University of Edinburgh says they found as global temperatures climb, less carbon can be stored in the sea. In this abyssal ocean that covers 60% of our planet, we're finding that under higher temperatures, we can store less carbon in these places. The ecosystems are turning the carbon over faster. They're running at at a higher temperature more quickly, and they're going to release more carbon in the future. And that's really worrying. 
You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chatter. I'm Jim Gould and your co-host today is Anna Fenton. Good morning, Anna. Good morning, everybody. On today's programme, we're talking about large-scale sports venues and plans for the Hong Kong Stadium. The Leisure and Cultural Services Department is proposing that the seating capacity of the Hong Kong Stadium be cut back to 9,000 from the current 40,000 because of noise pollution concerns. Uh, in a document submitted to Wan Chai District Council, it said the change would take place after the opening of the Kai Tak Sports Park, a major development expected in 2023. The reduced capacity stadium in Sokonpo would feature a 400-metre running track with uh, the grass pitch retained for soccer and rugby games. It would be used mainly to host uh, sports activities run by local organisations and schools. After 9.15, we're discussing a hepatitis C screening programme by researchers at the University of Hong Kong who say it should be able to cut transmission rates of the disease and enable more effective treatment. Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. Uh, joining us uh, now on the line, uh, we have uh, Ivan Wong, who's a Wan Chai District Councillor, and also uh, Dr Jackie Chan, who's a lecturer at the Department of Sports Science and Physical Education at the Chinese University. Um, uh, Dr Chan, um, if, we, if we can start with you, please. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, thank, and Anna. thank you for joining us. Uh, so uh, we have a 40,000-seater stadium uh, already. Uh, when the new Kaitak Sports Park opens, we'll have a, a brand-new 50,000-seater stadium. I mean, do we, would we need two such uh, large venues, and does it make sense, therefore, to, uh, to downsize the Hong Kong Stadium? Uh, actually, if, uh, according to the past uh, arrangement, uh, for example, in uh, every year we have the Hong Kong uh, World Peace Seven, uh, is the which is a an international uh, sport uh, event. If we are only according to this record, actually, uh, Hong Kong is very difficult to maintain two uh, such large stadium. But of course, it is uh, quite depends on. Uh, the, the promotion and depends on the local NSA how they promote their their uh, their sport event. So that actually, I think because of uh, this year the Olympic Games uh, performance, uh, I think uh, we can have a more uh, proactive plan to maintain to keep uh, such two uh, uh, large stadiums. So that from my point of view, actually uh, the Hong Kong Stadium uh, no need to restructure to. Uh, such a small scale. So, Dr. Chan, uh, I'm hearing, I think, that you're saying it should just be left the way it is, that there's enough uh, use for it without uh, dr drastically changing it. Yes, yes. Mm. Just a, a minor change, for example, uh, as per uh, uh, recap from uh, the Hong Kong, uh, Hong Kong Sport uh, Commissioners, uh, Mr. Yong Kung, uh, he mentioned uh, yesterday. Actually, some of the uh, facilities are not updated, they are not meet the international standard, but actually we can uh, have a minor change and can maintain uh, this kind of large stadium. Mm. 
Yeah, young Tat Kern will be joining us uh, later in the programme, actually, uh, yeah. after nine o'clock. Um, so you, you, you think, therefore, that there is enough interest uh, in sports events to maintain two stadiums, but if, if Hong Kong Stadium were retained as it is, what would, needed to, what would be needed to uh, improve the facilities there? Uh, for example, the... Uh, how to say, for example, uh, we, we have a lot of uh, reporters uh, uh, for uh, for the games, and then there uh, may be restructure of uh, of the uh, the covers and the grass because uh, uh, the past experience uh, that kind of uh, we've received a lot of comment from the public. Uh, we uh, actually it, it already improved a lot, but we can spend more money up, about on it. And and the thing is, whether we after the restructure, there is a lot of traffic uh, to the stadiums, uh, so that we can also give more resources to uh, keep uh, the traffic uh, to a uh, to meet uh, the areas needs. Okay. Um, also with us is uh, Ivan Wong, Wan Chai District Councillor. Good morning to you. Good morning, Ivan Wong. Uh, I don't think we have uh, Ivan Wong at the moment. Uh, no? Okay. Okay, Dr Chan, I'm sure you have yes. as long a memory as I do. The stadium has had a long and colourful history. If we go uh, yes, back to yes, 1994, do you remember when it was being, uh, when uh, there was the highly controversial contract with Wembley International uh, for management of the stadium after the stadium was enlarged greatly back then? And they started to decide to have pop concerts there. And do you remember the Canto pop concert in October 1994? But the crowd it was is, asked uh, to wear white the, gloves because the, the residents, the residents caused a, a big fury about noise. So how much this, mm -hmm. how much of this is residents' pressure to not have, uh, you know, events there that attract people and noise? Yes, I, 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 I remember that Ellen, uh, uh, Mr. Ellen Tam uh, organized a, a pop concert uh, there. But I think it's how frequent are uh, the uh, the sound, the noise uh, produced from uh, this uh, multi-purpose uh, stadium. Because it's a, I think it's one of the big events uh, in that years, and then it's uh, the first trial for uh, a Hong Kong popular uh, singing stars to have that event uh, over there. So I think it can uh, we can give more chance. Or more uh, and more, more opportunity for this kind of uh, arts event to organize there, but we can we can uh, set a lot of rules, regulation to uh, to, uh, to control the sound and the and the noise. And you, as you mentioned, you have a long history uh, of using uh, Hong Kong Stadium. Actually, back to uh, 1950s, you have already used it. You already have a, a good capacity of two uh, twenty eight thousand. And then we we have we have we structure to uh, forty thousand in nineteen ninety four, mm. and and we, we I remember there were several times we got, we uh, we call it a full house there. Mm. That means uh, meet uh, uh, many audience spectators and meet the full capacity there. And Hong Kong uh, sport fans, uh, they I think they also remember uh, the first time Hong Kong uh, South China. Uh, Go in the uh, 2009 AFC Cup, and it is a, a semi-final uh, second half between uh, uh, Hong Kong uh, South China uh, Athletic Association and uh, White uh, Soccer uh, Soccer Cup. 
so that and another time is uh, in uh, East Asia football uh, finals that Hong Kong got the champion. Yeah, so that it has a symbolic function. It recalls the memory and allows uh, the young generation to uh, re- uh, to read the history. Mm. Uh, like uh, like the Premier League in England, it is not uh, like uh, it is not only a revamp of the of the stadium. It's uh, it's, called, it's kind of removal of the uh, of the Hong Kong the home stadium of Hong Kong team. It should have a long discussion. Mm. Mm. Okay, okay. Well, uh, we have Ivan Wong back with us, uh, Wan Chai District Councillor. Good morning to you. Uh, good morning. So, what do you make of this plan to uh, downsize the seating capacity at uh, Hong Kong Stadium? Okay, so uh, I just got a few pages of the plans from the government, and uh, it mentioned mainly about the significantly reduce the number of seats from 40,000 to 9,000. And then uh, I think uh, it may be the functions of the Hong Kong Stadium may be reclassified from uh, Hong Kong for the Hong Kong as a whole. I think that the, the future may, may be uh, mainly for the Guangzhou District facilities instead for Hong Kong as a whole. And then uh, because as we uh, all remember we did. We did have a concert. We did have a concert uh, held before in this uh, Hong Kong uh, stadium. But uh, we concerned the noise pollution, particularly the noise pollution during the concert uh, was uh, unacceptable uh, uh, before. So I think uh, the way why we significantly dropped the, uh, the number of seats is mainly for the purpose of uh, reduce the noise pollution as well as the Every time uh, when they have a big event held in the stadium, we, we do have some uh, more or less a uh, traffic problem because it's not so easy uh, for the uh, for the people flow uh, uh, at around forty thousand. So the new plan, uh, I think, that, uh, for the whole uh, the new design will be dropped uh, from the to the uh, nine thousand seat. And I think the future, the, the similar uh, maybe a. Uh, uh, the big functions, maybe, maybe uh, they will be uh, held in somewhere else, such as in, uh, uh, in the Kaitak area. Yeah. Mr. Wong, yeah. isn't this all a bit, you know, let's be honest, the concert was in 1994. Most people weren't even born when that happened. And I think the population has changed a bit. Now, the 70 decibel level for that stadium is kind of laughable nowadays, isn't it, when you look at what pop concerts belt out? Isn't it time that we move with the times and we all relaxed a bit and got a bit more tolerant about things like concerts and public entertainment, even if they are occasionally held in the residential area? Okay, okay. Uh, I think at the present, uh, if we do not have any program, if we, if we do not have any activities held inside the uh, Hong Kong Stadium, the Hong Kong Stadium will be closed and our property particularly the one joy residents, they don't have any chance to can enjoy inside the uh, Hong Kong uh, stadium. But I think after the new plan, uh, after the uh, renovations complete, we really hope that the government can let our public can enjoy the leisure time inside there, such as the running track um, uh, and other uh, facilities for public. 
And instead of now, we completely cannot go inside to enjoy inside the Hong Kong uh, stadium. So I think in future, I think our district council, maybe we'll try our best to ask for the government to open this uh, new renovation uh, re- uh, after the renovation complete to let the property can join at three inside the uh, Hong Kong stadium. Instead of now, we completely, uh, we don't, we cannot go inside. So I think... Um, this is what we are asking for uh, from the government. Now, Mr Wong, this has traditionally been the home of the Hong Kong Sevens. So what's going to happen to the Sevens? Are they going to be pushed out to, to, to Kai Tak? Mm, I think uh, maybe it will be... Uh, uh, you mean the, you mean the, uh, uh, the rubber Seven? Yeah, the Rugby Sevens. Oh, OK. Maybe they will have happened other uh, other similar uh, stadium in in Kaita area. We don't have we don't have any uh, actual idea. That's why we we will ask the similar questions uh, uh, when when the uh, government uh, present this proposal in our district council. Because our our information only the same as yours. We only have a few pages, and we need to get down to ask some more detailed questions um, to see the any. Uh, further uh, details they can be uh, 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 provided by the government yeah i think that's the idea yeah i think the 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 idea is that yeah the rugby sevens uh, will move uh, to the new stadium at at kai tak uh, after it opens uh, uh, planned to open in 2023 um so ivan wong you support this downsizing proposal um at this moment i i i cannot say support or again because we, I, I still have some uh, concern uh, that we have to be clarified from the government. Mm. Yeah, what what as, are as your you concerns? Say, yeah. as, as, as you say, the functions, the hunger, because, you know, the rubber seven, um, if we significant drop to the 9,000 sitting, it is obviously not enough uh, for the future uh, capacity. So I think... Um, also, the, the the site right now is uh, is uh, you know we, we have a more uh, convenient for the tourists to come to enjoy the, the big events. If we move to the Kaita area, we do not know how's the uh, how's the uh, reactions from the property as well as uh, how is the easier to attract the foreign the tourists to enjoy the facilities. So all these questions we have to raise the. Our concern to the uh, government as well as the uh, relevant tourist department. Yeah. Yeah, because surely the one Chai bars and restaurants would take a hit if you uh, remove big events from there, because part of the fun of an event there is the before and the after and the walk there, because it's a walkable distance from the MTR, and that would all be gone, wouldn't it? Because there's not much in the way of F and B around Kai Tag. Yeah, I think the economic impact. Uh, after the moving of the Hong Kong student, that's all. That's we also concerned about this, because all we now now because we we understand that if we moving this facility to elsewhere, and then the uh, the the economic impact, as you say, the restaurant, the hotel, uh, something like that, uh, maybe the demand of such facility will be a maybe will be a drop uh, a, a little bit or to certain extent. So also, we would like to ask the government, do they have any um, 
figures about this uh, impact can be provided. Yeah. Mm. Uh, do you think that um, now that we're going to get a, a new 50,000-seater stadium on uh, 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 Kowloon side in Kai Tak, I mean, is there any need for the Hong Kong Stadium to be retained at all? I mean, there's a, a constant search going on for land for development. I mean, couldn't the stadium just be demolished and a new housing estate be put there? So, you know, this is only uh, it's a, it's a problem about the trade-off, uh, you know, because right now, as I mentioned again, right now the people, the public, cannot enjoy inside the Hong Kong Stadium because of the now that because the desire of the Hong Kong Stadium right now is not for the um, public to enjoy at the weekday time, and the main functions of the Hong Kong Stadium is for the big event, for international uh, sports, something like that, and so and and it is quite expensive even. Um, it's, it's hard and difficult for a public to afford to rent this facility to have the, the, the any events because the rent the rent fee is well, that is quite expensive. So most of the time um, for the Hong Kong stadium is uh, is at idle time. So I think after this plan change and uh, renovation complete, maybe the functions of this uh, Hong Kong stadium is for for more uh, opportunity for the property to enjoy inside okay. at three. Mm. Okay, Jackie Chan, uh, how about that, uh, the importance of public access at the revamped stadium? Yeah. Jackie Chan? That, that, uh, yeah, uh, it's about uh, the public access. Yes. Uh, actually, uh, as to, as to uh, what mentioned by uh, Ivan, uh, the rental cost is really huge. Uh, for using uh, one day, it costs us uh, one, sorry, sorry it's uh, 15,000, sorry, it should be 150,000 uh, Hong Kong dollars for using one day. So so actually for uh, a, a, for a layman, for a local citizen, actually cannot rent such uh, huge uh, areas. But uh, even for uh, the Hong Kong local football clubs, uh, they also uh, actually they are not really uh, willing to using uh, this course because uh, because uh, the, the uh, revenue from using uh, the course cannot cover their cost. Well, well, why does the government set the, the fees for using it so high? Then it's a government facility. Yeah, it is related. Uh, I think it's the long history because uh, it's uh, uh, when it's reopened in 1994, uh, managed by another uh, commercial uh, company. Wembley uh, International. They have, yes, they have to maintain the, the grass, they have to maintain the, uh, the quality of uh, the facility so that they uh, set such a high uh, sta a standard high price, uh, or I can say, uh, say it's a sky high price. What facilities uh, are you talking about? Concrete, uh, concrete terraces and plastic seats? Uh, and grass? The, the grass. Uh, mainly, mainly the grass uh, quality, and more importantly is, uh, I think, uh, it, uh, the revamp uh, of uh, the revamping of the Hong Kong uh, Stadium uh, uh, it may 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 marginalise the Hong Kong uh, the franchise program. Some some of the opponents may think that uh, and may think that after revamping the uh, Hong Kong Stadium, uh, it will give a further uh, further. Uh, reasons for the Hong Kong government to remove the franchise uh, as smoke one since the use of revamp Hong Kong Stadium performed the same function and more importantly uh, the local of 
uh, the location of uh, Wenchai Sport One has a have an incredible commercial value because they have the same similar function after uh, after uh, renovation. Right, because of the location, and it's it's there on the waterfront, right? Mm, yes. Mm. So that uh, some of the opponent may not came from the Hong Kong, Hong Kong uh, football fans. Uh, they maybe came from uh, the Hong Kong uh, local uh, chat and field supporter. Mm-hmm. So, w- would you expect when the revamped uh, stadium is open that uh, you know if there are no events taking place there, that members of the public can go in and use the running track for free? Mm, uh, it of course uh, give a lot of. Uh, benefit to uh, uh, Hong Kong citizens, citizens but actually, uh, according to the, rep- uh, the uh, report uh, generated, uh, I, I remember it's last year, uh, actually we have a uh, suicide one, uh, sport one, it also, which is also a, a international, meet the international standards, and then there are uh, another uh, football pitch uh, uh, next to the Hong Kong Stadium, a uh, Sogonpo uh, yeah. sport one. So there is a lot of similar uh, sport field next to the uh, in the Hong Kong Island next to the Hong Kong Stadium. So I think uh, they perform quite similar function, or we call it is a multi-function stadium. So that uh, it really in, uh, increase uh, the number of the local user using uh, the uh, revamped uh, Hong Kong Stadium. This is a question. Mm. Okay, um, Ivan Wong. We mentioned the rugby sevens earlier. Um, it, it didn't happen this year. Um, didn't happen last year either. Um, for local people who live there in Wan Chai, um, you know, what do they think about uh, the rugby sevens weekend? When you know, like thousands of people turn up and uh, and, and it's a very lively atmosphere and the supporters uh, make a lot of noise. I mean, it's it's uh, it's a very noisy weekend, isn't it? The rugby sevens and there's a lot of concern about noise. So, what is the what is the local people's uh, attitude towards the event? So actually, the rugby sevens only they counts for only a few days in one year. Yeah. It won't be cause a lot of trouble to those uh, residents living around there because it's only talking about a few days uh, once uh, every year. It's not a big problem. And it's not late so, night I, either, is it? Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but the point is, I, I have to uh, let me add, get something to add. The existing, the, the pricing strategy for the uh, Hong Kong uh, stadium, because they have to running a balanced budget. At least the income has to be uh, uh, balanced budget, uh, the income and the expenditure has to be balanced. Also, the pricing uh, strategy has to be formulated to meet the purpose, to meet this purpose. But in the future, we also have to concern the uh, financial operating model of this uh, Hong Kong uh, stadium. If, let's say, if the purpose is uh, sometimes or some uh, many days, uh, uh, for this uh, Hong Kong Stadium in future is for profit and joy at three. I think we need to review uh, the financial operating model in future. You know, so the pricing strategy, as well as the uh, if if the uh, facility is open for profit at three, so the existing using a balanced budget model may not be appropriate in future. So that's what we also concern. And uh, I think the traffic jam problem, the traffic jam problem, um, the only concern, uh, 
another another public uh, another sectors of publicly concern if the uh, if the uh, uh, scale of the thing uh, maybe reducing from uh, forty thousand to nine thousand we will be uh, more event more local event uh, held in the say uh, stadium in the future and then uh, we also compare the frequency of the big event right now and in the future. We have to compare the frequency because if the frequency of the event held there uh, will be much more than at present, I think the local resident uh, living around there or the, uh, the winter resident, maybe they will also have another concern. Okay. Um, right. Well, uh, we're talking about uh, the Hong Kong Stadium, and uh, after the break, we'll be looking ahead uh, to the future Kai Tak Sports Park. Um, do get in touch. Uh, you can uh, email us on our uh, backchat at rthk.hk. Uh, you can give us a call on 233-88266, or you can leave uh, a message on our Facebook page. Uh, um, we should say thank you very much now to um, Ivan Wong, a Wan Chai District Councillor, and thank you to uh, Dr Jackie Chan, lecturer at the Department of Sports Science and Physical Education at uh, the Chinese University. And after the nine o'clock news summary, we will be joined uh, by two other guests. Um, a quick look at the weather uh, before we go to the news. It's going to be uh, very dry, uh, slightly cooler uh, in the morning, becoming fine during the day, with top temperature around 24 degrees, moderate northerly winds, occasionally fresh offshore. The outlook mainly fine and very dry in the next couple of days. It will still be slightly cooler in the morning, and the temperature difference uh, between day and night will be relatively large. It's currently 19 degrees, humidity 43%, and the red fire danger warning is in effect. Border guard. No, surely not. We know our place. But we will not kneel down. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back to Back Chat with Anna Fenton and me, Jim Gould. And this morning we're talking about uh, large-scale sports venues and uh, plans for the Hong Kong Stadium, uh, downsizing the seating capacity there. Uh, we're joined on the line now by Young Tak Kung, the Commissioner for Sports, and also Raymond Chan, the past president of the Hong Kong Institute of Surveyors and a, a member of the Housing Authority. Um, Young Tak Kung, uh, thank you for joining us. So we're due to have a new 50,000-seater uh, stadium uh, when the Kai Tak Sports Park opens. Hong Kong Stadium will be downsized to uh, 9,000 from its current 40,000 capacity. What's your vision for the future of Hong Kong Stadium? Yeah, good morning. Uh, well, uh, uh, at the moment we are building the uh, Kai Sports Park, uh, which has a 50,000 uh, seat uh, main stadium. So uh, by the time uh, the uh, Kai Sports Park is completed, um, well, uh, many uh, major sports events, including the uh, Rugby Seven, and also the international football matches uh, uh, currently held uh, at the Hong Kong Stadium will be moved to Kai Tech. So we need to, uh, uh, you know, reposition the Hong Kong Stadium. And uh, because uh, at the moment we have a shortage of uh, sports facilities, so we need to, uh, say, uh, better utilize our existing resources by redeveloping the Hong Kong Stadium as well as other stadiums. So our plan is to uh, reduce the... Um, uh, uh, spectator seats 
uh, from uh, 40,000 uh, 40, to 9,000. Uh, and at the same time, we will uh, uh, put back an athletic track uh, at, the, at the Hong Kong Stadium. So um, by the time the project is completed, the Hong Kong Stadium can, uh, on one hand, uh, continue to host um, football and uh, rugby matches, and uh, on the other hand, it can, uh, you know, uh, it can host uh, athletic meets and uh, say um, um, inter-school athletic meets and uh, and other regional uh, athletic events. And also, um, uh, at the moment. Um, Many, uh, uh, you know, the general public, they, they, they would like to do jogging uh, at, at, at night time. So when the Hong Kong Stadium uh, uh, project uh, is completed, uh, when we have a 400-meter uh, track, at night time, uh, the, uh, the venue can be open uh, to the general public for, for jogging and uh, athletic training as well. Let's, so talk about, let's talk about the size of that place. Uh, if you're familiar with it, mm. it's incredibly steep bank seating there. It's terraces, right? Old-fashioned terraces. How much space would you really create by taking out that much seating? Because it's a very, you know, the seating per square foot is very, very dense because of the height. Yeah, well, there, there are many uh, possibilities. And uh, we will do a uh, technical feasibility study in the coming year. So the design, etc., will be known uh, at a later stage. But there are, say, one of the options is because we do not need uh, uh, so many seats. So we do not. Uh, at the moment, they have uh, uh, spectator stands on four sides of the stadium. So in future, we may not need uh, uh, spectator stands on four sides. So we can, uh, you know, uh, reduce the height of the spectator stand as well. So uh, as you said, uh, the higher seat at the moment is quite steep. So we can uh, uh, demolish the uh, the upper tier and uh, just uh, you know retain the lower tier of the Hong Kong Stadium. Given the need for uh, land for development, and since we're uh, getting the new uh, Kai Tak Sports Park, which should be ready to be opened in 2023, I mean, do we need that Hong Kong Stadium at all? Couldn't it be used for housing? Well, o overall, uh, in Hong Kong, there is a shortage of sports facilities, especially uh, for uh, sports ground and stadium. Um, say, uh, at the moment, because, uh, well, uh, we only have two uh, uh, sports ground uh, on Hong Kong Island. One is in Wan Chai and one is in uh, Chai Wan, in Siu Wan. And uh, so many, uh, many schools, when they uh, want to do athletic meets, they have to go to Kowloon or even to the new territories. So um, um, there's a need to uh, provide more sports ground on Hong Kong Island so that uh, uh, school athletic meets as well as other athletic events can be held uh, uh, on Hong Kong Island. And also uh, there's a uh, well, high demand for football pitches as well. Uh, but at the moment, because Hong Kong Stadium is reserved for international matches, uh, the, uh, the uh, say cup matches of the uh, Hong Kong Premier League and, and the general public, they cannot use the football pitch in uh, Hong Kong Stadium. So uh, after the redevelopment project, the Hong Kong Stadium, uh, the piece of land can be put to better use. Well, the reason we've been given already this morning for it not being widely available is the cost, is the uh, model of uh, revenue generation that's um, taking place there. So how would that change? Because you're not changing the per square foot area of the site. So how would the cost structure change to become affordable or free? At the moment, the uh, Hong Kong Stadium, the, um, the, uh, the fee charging is not for generating revenue. It's just for, you know, um, 
uh, at least the uh, the the the, um, uh, the user uh, should pay the cost. So it's cost recovery rather than generating revenue, um, because the Hong Kong Stadium at the moment is a big venue, so the uh, overhead cost is high. But uh, after the redevelopment project, uh, just take, say for example, uh, at the moment Bangkok Stadium uh, it has uh, 6,500 seats. Um, uh, the charge is like one tenth of the uh, of the charge at the Hong Kong Stadium. So one tenth of so 150,000 yeah, a day. Stadium. So uh, after the redevelopment project, Hong Kong Stadium will be much more affordable. Okay, well also with us is Raymond Chan, past president of the Hong Kong Institute of Surveyors and a member of the Housing Authority. Good morning to you. Good morning. So what's your view of the development potential of that uh, SOCON PO area? Uh, I uh, totally agree with what has been said and uh, also uh, it is in the in the center of an urban area, so uh, we need more open space actually around there because it is quite densely populated uh, residential area in there. And uh, also, we, we also I, I tend to keep it uh, mm-hmm. open. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, uh, to reduce the size of the uh, of the population in there will be more environmental friendly, I think, to, to the surrounding, because uh, we uh, always experience uh, a, a congestion of uh, people in there when events were held in there. And also the law is never uh, reached the uh, acceptable level uh, with that size of uh, audience in there. And uh, also there are quite a lot of school around there. So if the Hong Kong Stadium is to be converted to uh, is actually a sports ground, which can be used by the schools for their, say, the annual sports day. And uh, that will actually benefit the schools around there as well. So I think it is uh, a wise move. Uh, only that uh, I would say uh, we need to actually look at the cause of the conversion because uh, it is just a a downsizing of an existing uh, facility. So we don't want the complete demolition of the whole thing and rebuild the whole thing. One, it takes up a lot of time, and secondly, it causes a lot of wastage. So, so would you expect that the, the look of the stadium will be much changed in future? Because uh, as Anna was talking about just now, the, the, the stands are very steep and they go they They're high almost up the hillsides on either yeah. side. And, I think that is not uh, too difficult. Uh, if we can modify the uh, existing structure, we actually, uh, I think, can find out a, a reasonable way to modify it. Uh, actually, we are accommodating less seats. We are not thinking more seats, and that reduction is uh, quite substantial. And uh, I think the existing structure in mo- uh, most likely can... Uh, uh, accommodate the, the alteration. Can you really fit a 400-meter running track in there? Uh, I think it used to be, in the old days, it used to be uh, a, a running track around there before mm. the, the, the alteration that, that took time about 20 years ago. Mm. OK, uh, let, let's um, ask uh, Young Tak Kung, the Sports Commissioner. So how is the development work uh, progressing for the new uh, Kai Tak Sports Park? At the moment, we are consulting uh, the, the locals as well as the sports sector. And um, uh, 
uh, after the consultation, uh, we will proceed with the uh, technical feasibility study. So uh, that will take uh, maybe another year. Um, so uh, say by the end of next year, we will have, uh, you know, um, uh, we will have a preliminary design as well as a cost estimate about the uh, project as well as the timetable. Uh, okay. Um, in terms of the Rugby Sevens, uh, which we were mentioning earlier, uh, it's going to move uh, to Kai Tak once that stadium is open and ready. Uh, we're still looking at uh, a date in second half of 2023? Uh, yes. Um, well, um, actually, the Rugby Union, they, they are very keen to move Rugby Seven to uh, Kai Tak because before the uh, pandemic, um, uh, the Hong Kong Stadium is uh, you know, always full for, uh, for the Rugby Seven and they, they need more seats. So the main stadium in Kai Tech Sports Park can provide uh, uh, an additional of uh, 10,000 uh, seats uh, mm. for the event. So they have planned for that. And uh, at the moment, the Kai Tech Sports Park is scheduled for completion by the end of 2023. So uh, probably in 2024, it depends on, on the date of the uh, Rugby 7 in 2024, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, the event can be held at Kai Tech. Mm. Yes, yeah. usually around uh, early April. Usually yeah, around yeah, early April, but yeah. uh, you know the uh, pandemic changed yes. the schedule a bit. Yes, sure. Uh, do, do Do you have any any news, any uh, update about the possibilities for Rugby Sevens 2022? Um, that's not so long away now; just uh, five months, and you know. With yeah, well, yeah. The Rugby Union, we are in discussion with them, and uh, well, they also need to uh, consult the World Rugby Union as well as uh, the overseas rugby team. So they are trying to uh, fix a date for the for the event in 2022, and of course it depends on the uh, on the on the pandemic. Okay, um, I have an email here from a, a listener. Mark says, uh, "What is the construction cost to make this change, and who will pay for it?" Talking about the Hong Kong Stadium now, uh, for the nine thousand seater stadium, uh, what would be the expected annual event schedule, um, Mr. Young? Well, as I said earlier, uh, we will uh, conduct a technical feasibility study and that will provide us with a cost estimate. So at the moment, we do not have a cost estimate yet. Uh, at the moment, we only uh, have a, you know, the project scope and uh, for local consultation. So the cost estimate will be known at a later stage. And in terms of the event schedule, and uh, we expect the uh, Hong Kong Stadium after the redevelopment will be heavily used uh, for uh, school athletic meet. Uh, at daytime and at nighttime, uh, the uh, uh, many uh, local football matches will be played there. So uh, the utilization rate will be much higher than uh, in in the past years. So that doesn't sound like nightly joggers, does it? Uh, well, if if there's no no football match or no uh, athletic event, then the joggers can use the uh, track as well. Are you able to stay with us for a couple of more minutes? Because I have another query here from another listener. Okay. So, so, so Umesh writes, uh, uh, there is talk about the Hong Kong Sevens being eventually moved to the new, bigger Kai Tak Stadium, but I don't see any infrastructure in place to handle such big crowds. Hong Kong Stadium has the advantage where uh, the majority of the crowd could stream out of the venue towards hotels and drinking, eating venues within walking distance. Before any decision is made on moving large events to Kai Tak, there should be some sort of infrastructure in place. At the moment, there are no plans. Uh, Mr. Young? That's totally the opposite because, it's because of uh, the facilities and the supporting infrastructure at Kai Tech is much, much better than the existing Hong Kong Stadium. 
say for example at the Hong at the moment the Hong Kong Stadium when they have large scale event uh, like the Rugby Seven, um, well, the, you know all all the roads nearby, you know, have to be blocked for the event, yes. and yeah. there's no well, it's not close to the MTR station, but in the future the Kitex Sports Park will be served by the uh, MTR starting central link, and there will be two MTR stations within 10 to 15 minutes walk mm-hmm. from the uh, from the main stadium. So in, cur- in terms of crowd dispersal um, and, you know, and, and other supporting uh, facilities, high-tech sports park is much better than the existing Hong Kong Stadium. Well, that's and, about the yeah, same, yeah, isn't it? The MTR mm-hmm. is about 15 minutes from the existing stadium and you've got the tram. Yeah. Uh, no, there's no tram, but they're mainly served by the MTR and other public transport. No, no, I mean the existing stadium's about the same then, isn't it? 15 minutes walk to the MTR. But the road is uh, narrow. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you, can, you have to close the road, close mm-hmm. the uh, road traffic, so that mm-hmm. the people can walk along the road to the MTR station. Mm-hmm. But in future, we do not need to close the road at Kai Tech. The traffic can continue. But mm-hmm. there are separate walkways for, uh, for the spectators. Mm-hmm. And, the, and people can disperse very quickly and safely um, to the, uh, to the, uh, uh, through the MTR uh, by walking along the, uh, uh, you know, the cover walkway and other, uh, you know, other, other, uh, other pedestrian walk as well. So yeah. it will be much, much better. Won't be as much it'll fun be, though, it'll will be, it? It'll be easier to get around the area. But uh, I, are, are there any plans for uh, F&B outlets uh, near the new stadium? Yeah, 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 there will be uh, many catering outlets. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Great, great. Okay, okay, well, uh, thank you very much for your time and thanks for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, Young Tak Kong there, the Commissioner for Sports, and also thank you to uh, Raymond Chan, past president of the Hong Kong Institute of Surveyors and a member of the Housing Authority. Uh, and for our second uh, topic uh, this morning, uh, we're going to turn to a survey uh, which was conducted by researchers from the University of Hong Kong um, into a screening for hepatitis C, uh, which was targeting high-risk groups. And the researchers say it's proved uh, highly effective and will help to cut to transmission of the disease. And we're joined on the line by Dr. Loi Mack, who's a clinical assistant professor at the Department of Medicine at the University of Hong Kong. Um, good morning. Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, so, t- just tell us a little bit more about your survey and what the benefits uh, may be going forward. Okay. Um, so, uh, our program is named the Conquering Hepatitis via Microelimination Program. So, um, we aim to identify subjects with high risk of hepatitis C virus infection in the community. And uh, once identified, they will be linked to care into our research clinic and they would be assessed um, for eligibility for highly effective directly acting antiviral therapy. So um, we formed an outreach team and we uh, co- collaborate with the non-governmental organization partners uh, who run the uh, drug rehabilitation centers in Halfway House. And we had our visits to the outreach, uh, in, in the outreach uh, visits to the uh, Halfway House and we performed on-site health education talks and afterwards, we will perform point-of-care tests for the subjects for antibody to hepatitis C virus. And once confirmed positive, we will draw blood from their veins and we will um, collect the blood to check for hepatitis C virus RNA. 
and after confirmation of the viral carriage, they will be invited to attend our clinic for assessment and also evaluation for treatment. So um, am I reading between the lines that you're saying that high-risk people are among the substance abuse users of the population who might be sharing needles? Yes, um, uh, we uh, identified uh, a few groups uh, having high risk for hep C. So uh, um, those subjects who shared needles for drug injection, as well as subjects who have um, previous history of substance abuse or previous history of prison uh, imprisonment. And we also have other high-risk groups, such as people living with human immunodeficiency virus and men who have sex with men, as well as people who were transfused with products that were contaminated. Why would uh, people who'd been in prison be among a high-risk group? Um, because uh, some of the prison inmates, they may be uh, um, put to jail because of drug trafficking. And um, uh, also, uh, the hepatitis C virus is actually transmitted by percutaneous routes, and it could be transmitted via body fluid, um, such as uh, blood or uh, some um, uh, any any kind of body secretion. So sometimes when subjects uh, were shared, sharing their uh, toothbrush or even shaves, then they can easily get infected by the virus. So it's quite an infectious uh, virus then, hepatitis C. Is it quite easy to pass on? Uh, it's it's, uh, it's um, easily transmitted um, by percutaneous routes. So uh, uh, apart from needle sharing, uh, also sexual contact, and um, some of the subjects also got the infection from their mother during the birth process. Mm. Mm. So what's the incidence of hospital infections here? Because just personally, my father contracted hep C in hospital having a triple heart bypass in London. So what are the levels for hospital transmissions in Hong Kong? So um, the, for hospitalised subjects, actually, um, the background rate of hepatitis C virus infection is not very high. In Hong Kong, um, the prevalence of hep C in the general population is only 0.3%. And for hospitalised subjects, the prevalence rate is about 0.8%, also uh, relatively low. So that's why we are not um, performing population-based screening, but instead we identify high-risk groups for the micro-elimination approach. So how does that compare in terms of numbers with Hep A and Hep B? So for Hep A, our seroprevalence rate is, is much higher, but for Hep A, it's uh, usually a self-limiting infection and um, it will not lead to chronic infection. So the implications are quite different compared to Hep C. For Hep C subjects, um, they, if, if they do not seek treatment, the hepatitis C virus can lead to chronic liver inflammation, liver cirrhosis, or even liver cancer. Mm -hmm. So um, even if even though Hep C is much less common than Hep A, the implication of Hep C is much more significant to the healthcare system and also to the community. And Hep B, because many Asian people are carriers of Hep B, aren't they? Yes, indeed. Um, so happy in our community, uh, the still prevalence rate is 7.8%, um, but uh, relatively uh, for hep C is less common. But um, um, the prevalence rate among high-risk groups is very high. Like in our project, we identified that um, more than 70% of the screened subjects were actually positive for the hepatitis C virus. So are you testing for B and C since there's a, a common high-risk factor there with intravenous drug users and blood? Uh, yes, um, and that's why well, uh, these um, these subjects were uh, uh, we were deemed to be high risk for having hepatitis C virus infection, and if they are confirmed to have Hep C, we will also screened for concomitant uh, Hep B and also HIV as well. Right. So your team has carried out this uh, 
screening exercise targeting at high-risk groups. Um, was there any sort of similar exercise done before that? Uh, yes, as far as I know, um, uh, the uh, Chinese University of Hong Kong, uh, their LIFA team also conducted a similar exercise. Um, the, um, the, the similarity is uh, we also target uh, high-risk groups and uh, we collaborate with uh, NGOs and we would uh, link the confirmed subjects to uh, the respective units for further evaluation for treatment. But the differences are um, that we also expand our uh, high-risk groups to people um, with history of substance abuse and also those uh, with previous uh, imprisonment. And um, the, another difference is uh, we perform um, health education talk, point-of-care testing and um, blood taking at the same visit so that we could um, shorten the uh, workup process and uh, hopefully can um, reduce the dropout rates and improve the treatment adherence. Do you find people are willing to collaborate and cooperate with this kind of testing? Because it's quite invasive, isn't it? Uh, well, uh, in fact, the, um, the test itself uh, was uh, a very simple uh, finger prick test, similar to checking the blood glucose by the, um, by, by the uh, needle, by the, by the um, simple needle equipment. So the um, point-of-care test takes about 20 minutes. Uh, after taking one drop of blood from the fingertip, we can um, wait for the results, and within 20 minutes, we will know that whether the subject is uh, previously exposed to hepatitis C virus. And then blood taking itself, uh, it's, uh, in fact, it wasn't, uh, it's not considered to be very invasive, but um, to be frank, it's uh, not easy to collect blood from these subjects because uh, most of the time their blood vessels are actually quite <laughs> difficult to be identified. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, But um, luckily our research team are quite, um, they have very professional blood taking skills. So um, we, so far we only failed blood taking in one of the subjects among the 213 subjects that we screened. So is there any regular screening exercise carried out by the health authorities? Uh, so the health authority uh, uh, has uh, regular um, we're now actually doing a look-back program for other high-risk groups, uh, like those patients uh, who need the hemodialysis. They, they are also at high risk of hep C, and also um, uh, subjects who require regular blood transfusion, such as uh, hemophilia patients or thalassemia patients. Um, we have uh, look-back programs to identify these subjects for uh, uh, evaluation for treatment. But, um, and also for HIV, um, people living with HIV, they also receive um, screening for hep C in the HIV treatment centers. So leaving uh, the, the other high-risk groups uh, without regular access to health care are those who share needles and uh, people who uh, also have history, history of substance abuse. And is there an improved prognosis if you can intervene on people early with the screening? Yes, uh, definitely. Um, because uh, if they do not seek medical attention early, the hepatitis C virus uh, can progressively lead to liver damage and uh, it would take about um, two decades for the um, virus to cause liver cirrhosis or liver cancer. So if identified early um, the, uh, and, and get treatment um, early, then the virus can be completely eradicated from the liver and so that we can halt the disease progression. Because in the early stages, uh, it's largely asymptomatic, uh, is that right? Yes, yes, mm. correct. So mm. our subjects are usually unaware of the infection, even if they have chronic carriage. Uh, yesterday uh, in our, so actually in our area sharing, uh, one of the subjects um, uh, said that he actually had the infection for more than 10 years, but he didn't have any symptoms. Mm. 
So uh, if, if you did have hepatitis C, uh, at what stage would you become aware of symptoms? So uh, it would be um, quite late if uh, the subject develops any symptoms such as uh, yellowing of the skin, abdominal distension, poor appetite. These would signify um, already quite advanced liver disease. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, um, uh, good luck with your efforts, and uh, yeah, yeah, let's hope it uh, it leads to uh, improvements in uh, in treatment and and limiting transmission. And thank you very much for speaking to us on the program this morning, uh, Dr. Loi Mack there, who's a clinical assistant professor at the Department of Medicine at the University of Hong Kong. Uh, we're coming towards uh, the end of the program. Uh, just a, a few. Uh, emails here from uh, listeners. Uh, this one from uh, Hubert, it looks like, says, uh, Dear Backchat, I find it quite ridiculous talking about noise pollution as a reason to change Hong Kong Stadium. Hong Kong people are very noisy by nature, as is evident uh, to visit uh, any facility or restaurant for that matter. I remember the opening concert by Jean-Michel Jarre was such a fantastic event, but after that, no more similar events because of so-called noise pollution. Any concert or sports matches are usually just for one night and are very acceptable for the enjoyment of most people. Uh, thank you for that. And one more email on the subject of elderly people getting vaccinated. Uh, Alonso says, uh, I see from today's news that Singapore has announced that unvaccinated people in the city-state who get COVID will have to pay their own bills with zero financial assistance from the government. Maybe Hong Kong should consider doing the same in an attempt to boost our very low levels of vaccination among the elderly. Uh, Thank you for that. Uh, thanks to our listeners. Uh, thanks very much to you, Anna. You're welcome. And a quick look at the weather. Uh, it's going to be uh, very dry, uh, becoming fine during the day. Top temperature around 24 degrees. Moderate northerly winds, occasionally fresh offshore. The outlook, mainly fine and very dry in the next couple of days. Uh, it'll be slightly cooler in the morning. And the temperature differences between day and night will be relatively large. It's currently 19 degrees, humidity low at 38%. The red fire danger warning is in effect. I am the little grape, and I'm here to alert citizens to scams. When you shop online, stay alert to scams. When you date online, stay alert to scams. And when you receive calls from unknown numbers, stay alert to scams. I never get tired of reminding. I love reminding my family and people around me to stay alert to scams. Ending deception starts with you. Remind those around you. If you come across any suspected scams, call the police anti-scam helpline at one 222 News summary with Todd Harding. Health authorities have lifted the lockdown at the Harbour Pinnacle building in Chim Sa Choi. Around 300 residents were tested and no COVID cases were found. The lockdown, which lasted 12 hours, was sparked by fears an aircrew member had contracted a mutant coronavirus variant. There were also concerns about his viral load and the fact his job meant he was exempt from quarantine. A state of emergency has come into force in Lithuania as the country grapples with a surge in illegal immigration from neighbouring Belarus. Reports from neighbouring Poland say two large groups of migrants breached a border fence and entered the country from Belarus. Poland has accused the Belarusian president, Alexander Lukashenko, of orchestrating the crisis. And the United Nations says 16 of its local staff have been detained by the authorities in the Ethiopian capital Addis Ababa. A UN spokesperson said six, person, six others had been released. 
He said the Ethiopian government had been asked to free all of them immediately. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. 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 How are you? Not too bad at all. Good morning. Even the Hello. You never Facebook chat with me, Phil. Good morning. He's got the Tom and Jerry type violence. It's a great experience. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning to you and welcome to Wednesday here on The Morning Brew. It's classical music day today, as you know, because it's Wednesday. So at 10.40, we'll be welcoming composer and conductor Colin Touchin to the programme. Today, it's all about the eccentrics. We're going to hear some music in the shape of a pair, some for telephone and rubber band, and we'll play just a small excerpt from 4 Minutes 33, the magnum opus of American composer John Cage. After 11.30, RTL France's Philippe Duval will be with us bright and very early live from Paris. And after 12, Chris Watts presents more pain and agony, but in a very nice way, from his Motion Dynamics studio in Central. Join Chris as usual on Facebook Live. Judas, 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 Judas,